Tonight we're going to continue in the book of Amos, and we're still on our introduction, <laughs> so we're going to finish that up tonight. You have the outline there before you, and uh, so far we've looked at his uh, title, his testimony, the description of the prophet, his trade. Uh, last week we looked at the date of the prophecy, and um, we also began to look at the details of his message. And uh, we got as far as we've looked at the revelation of the coming judgment, the reference to Israel as the uh, northern kingdom. And then we were going to get into these six reasons why uh, God is judging, why his judgment is coming. And uh, we, we will go over those tonight, but just remember... Um, Amos was a prophet of God. He was a farmer who God selected to be a prophet. He prophesied in Bethel around 755 B.C. And he had no claim to being a prophet. He wasn't a prophet himself, nor the son of a prophet. He was only a prophet because of God's call on his life. And we talked about how sometimes God uses people with inadequate qualifications and inadequate abilities for his glory, and that's what he did with uh, the prophet Amos. And so we come down to these six reasons in Amos, uh, over in uh, Amos chapter 9. It talks about... Um, God looking down in, in, in Amos 9, verses 8 to 10, it says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as one shakes with a, a sieve, but no pebble, uh, shall fall to earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Uh, you know, this, what we're looking at uh, daily on the news is really uh, something of biblical proportions. You don't see this kind of horror every day. Uh, but unfortunately, this is fallen upon the nation of Israel, and God will deal with those who are against the nation of Israel. And uh, we may be speaking a little bit about this on Sunday. I'm still praying about whether I want to break away from John or not, but um, I think it's important to understand why our church supports and stands with Israel. And uh, as the war rages on over there, Really, uh, sometimes the only way to deal with an enemy is to eradicate it, and that's exactly what they're going to do. And it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be um, nice. And I think all the accolades that are for Israel today, all the politicians saying, oh, we're standing with Israel, uh, I always say the same thing, give them a couple weeks, and they'll be calling for Israel to stop the fighting and stop the, you know, carrying out the defeat of their enemy. And so we need to be praying that God would uh, carry out his will concerning this. 
But tonight we ask, why does God's judgment come? Why does it come? And he, he tells us there in, in verses 9 to 10, but we're going to see basically uh, a couple different reasons why this, this happens. And um, I think that it's important for us to realize that we're not the exception to God's judgment. And I think we sense that as Christians here in this country. And you ask, well, why does God allow this to happen? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And so, you know, are we just supposed to sit around and wait to get zapped? No, we're supposed to carry out the gospel and proclaim the gospel and pray that people would come to Christ. Uh, so we want to look at six reasons why Amos, uh, from Amos, from the prophet Amos, why God's judgment will come upon why it came upon Israel, but also why it may come upon us as well. And so let's open a word of prayer, and then we'll look at the first reason here I have. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here tonight. Lord, we do pray that your word would uh, cement itself into our hearts and our minds. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the ability to come to Christ, that you have sent your Son to as a free gift to this world to live and to die uh, in our place. And Lord, as he was obedient to the cross and as you raised him from the dead, Father, we have an opportunity as well to have victory over sin and death in our own lives through Christ. And Lord, we do pray that you would um, teach us your word tonight. We do pray for Israel. We pray for the people over there, uh, both Israelis and Palestinians and those who live in Israel, those who live in Gaza, Lord, the innocent civilians. Father, we know that many will die. That's just the state of war. That's what happens. And so, Lord, we prepare our hearts for these things. But, Lord, we know that you are in control of this. And, Father, we do pray for the Israeli army that they would be um, a select and be careful in, as they carry out um, the defense of their nation against this terrorist organization. And, Lord, I pray that... We, I think we all pray that this would not grow into a bigger scenario with other nations gathering in against Israel. Lord, we know ultimately one day that will happen, but we pray that uh, your hand will, will stay them and keep them. And, and Father, we know that you, you know that Israel is your protected people. And Lord, uh, Father, we pray that they would turn to you as their Messiah, that they would stop trusting in just their religion and turn to Christ. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it tells us in, in Amos uh, chapter 2, verse 4, he says there in verse 4, thus says the Lord. You see that phrase over and over again because that's who's speaking through Amos. It says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, <clears throat> I'll explain, we're going to hear that a lot in the book of Amos, and I'll explain that for you next week. But it says, uh, I will not revoke the punishment. I will not revoke the punishment. And when you when you stop and you you think of uh, what he's saying here, he's saying, you know what, you're going to be punished. You're going to be judged. There's no reprieve here. And here's the reason. He says because basically um, they have. He, he tells us throughout the whole the whole book they have rejected. Um, the law of the Lord. 
And down in, in verse 4 there, they've rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> look at our own culture, look at our own country. We are guilty of this same thing. Uh, we have despised, we've looked down upon the word of God as a country, as a people, and we've substituted really our own evaluations for life and we've avoided keeping the commandments of the Lord as a nation uh, under each of these six reasons. I'm going to give you basically a, a one-word sin there, your one-word explanation, and you see them there in your outline. And the first one there, it says, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. Why is that? Because they were infected. Israel was infected with a rebellious attitude and disobedience to the commandments of the Lord. It's a result of a rebellious attitude and an, an, an attitude of disobedience to the commandments of the Lord. And that word infection is very uh, purposeful there because it describes exactly what happens. You know, a lot of times you don't just go out and say, oh, I think I'll go get an infection now. No, an infection usually happens over time. It happens slowly. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, I got an infection. You know, very seldom do you just, as soon as the infection enters your body, oh, I feel like I'm infected by something. It doesn't happen that way. And so here we've seen in our own country the despisement of God's law, that we don't keep his commandments, we glorify the innocent slaughter of babies in the womb even, uh, and outside the womb for that matter anymore. Uh, we have not upheld God's standard when it comes to morality as far as marriage and and, and things of the such. And so when you stop and you think about it, our nation has a rebellious attitude and they are being disobedient to the commands of the Lord. And I would go even further. There's a lot of Christians who are rebellious <laughs> and have a rebellious attitude and a disobedient nature when it comes to the commandments of the Lord. You know, they, they live their life in church one way and then they go over here in the world and they live completely different. And they say, well, that doesn't hurt anybody. Well, yeah, it does. It hurts your testimony. It grieves the heart of the Lord, clearly. And it's a rebelliousness. It's a rebelliousness. It's a, it's a rebelliousness of disobedience. Disobedience to the Lord. Well, the second thing here is in verse 6. Look at what it says. It says, thus says the Lord for three transgressions, um, of Israel and for the four, I will not revoke punishment. What's the reason? He gives another reason. It says, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes or sandals. Because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Go over to chapter 4, verse 1. Look at this. This is interesting. Amos says here, hear this word. I love this. You cows of Bashan. What is that? Well, he's actually talking about the, 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 the portly ladies, <laughs> you could say, of Samaria. The hefty ladies of Samaria. He calls them the cows of Bashan. Um, let me put it this way. I don't think Amos is trying to win and influence his, his friends here. 
I mean, you use that kind of verbiage, you're not going to, you're going to turn off a lot of people, right? He didn't really care what his generation thought. And he told things, he said things the way he saw them. Remember, this isn't somebody who's been trained. He's a farmer. He's a farmer. And so he's going to speak like farmers do. And so he saw these heavy ladies of Bashan, and he said, you know, the cows of Bashan. He thought of cows. Why? Because that's all he did all day. He was a herdsman. And so he wasn't trying to win people. He just said that, you know, he was a street preacher with kind of a, a desert guy with kind of a rough and gruff attitude about things. And he just talked to animals all week long. So he had no conversational skills. So he just said what was on his heart. He called these ladies of Samaria, cows of Bashan. And uh, he says, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who, who oppress, oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to your husband, bring that we may drink. In other words, utter disconcern for any poverty around them. They could care less. And obviously, um, because he calls them cows, they were portly, they were overfed, you could say. And they were very spoiled women. Down in verse 12 of chapter 5, he says, For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. And then he points out what the sin is in verse 12. He says, You who afflict the righteous and you who take a bribe and turn aside the needy at the gate. In other words, hey, you know what? You're poor. You're not allowed in here. You're, you're, we're not going to deal with you. Stay away. You know, if you, we let you into the banquet, you'll eat all the food because, you know, you're poor. Uh, respecter of persons. The Bible warns us against this. Now, I'm not saying that we need to, you know, because Jesus also says the poor are always going to be with you, right? So, but we have to be careful that we don't become so hearted toward those who are legitimately, and that's the key word, legitimately in poverty, Okay, not the person that's out on the street begging every day because they probably make more money than most of us uh, just begging on the street. They don't pay taxes. They don't do anything. So, you know, that's I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people that are legitimately living in poverty. They're willing to work, but maybe they can't work. Maybe they're stricken with a disease or something. Some some disaster happened in their life. And, you know, we need to be sensitive to those people. And here he's pointing out people that are what? Are insensitive, really, not just to the poor, but to the need of others altogether. And so we need to be kind of careful about that. And that's what he says there in in verse 6. He says, um, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. And we just need to be willing, I think, to um, share what God has blessed us with. And then I think, you know, the one thing that we, we forget is if you if you live in this country and stuff, you know, I hear people sometimes, you know, and I've done it, you know, it, it, you need something in your life, you know, maybe it's a, uh, a new car or a, a, a new phone or whatever. I don't know. And, you know, hey, 
I've heard, I've heard Christians say this, hey, pray for me, you know, I, I need a new this. And I'm like, wow, you have no idea of people that live in other countries. I mean, they don't even have water, clean water to drink or food to eat. And yet we're praying for very materialistic things. Now, there's nothing wrong with having nice things, right? We all have those things. That's fine. But it, it, we have to be careful of our attitude. And see, Amos was interested, you could say it this way, he was interested in um, the proper view of social justice. He said, all you rich people were out there just you know, shoving food down your throat, you know, you, you should have a little concern for people around you. And, and obviously, he's pointing out that they didn't. They were insensitive. And sometimes it takes a trip to a third world country to realize, wow, you know, we have it pretty good. Even those in poverty here in our country have it pretty good compared to some other countries. But notice he says there about taking bribes. Uh, you know, it has the idea of taking advantage of people. I mean, you don't have to look too far for this, right? Do we crush the needy, the poor? Are we indifferent to them? Um, and you're going to find out as we go through this book, a lot of judgments flow out of the mouth of Amos from the Lord God of Israel against the misuse and the abuse of the poor and needy. It's just on his heart. And he probably saw it right as it was playing itself out. And God spoke to this prophet through that. And sometimes we don't like to hear that part of what the prophets have to say when it talks about reaching out to the poor and the needy and things like that, because we're very comfortable where we live and what we do, and we don't want to dirty up our lives with these, these people that are poor and needy. And so, but the Bible tells us that we need to treat people with what? Kindness, with love. Uh, you know, we shouldn't just say to somebody, oh, you know, just praise God, you know, be warmed and filled and go your way, you know. Uh, and a lot of times when you offer people things, we've had people here that come to the church on a Sunday and they'll want money or something and we'll say, well, you know what, sit through the service. And sometimes they say, well, no. <laughs> well, then, <laughs> if you're not going to be willing to sit here for 45 minutes and, and endure a sermon, then we're probably not going to help you. And because they are, they're, they're, they're taking advantage of people. They go from church to church, and you got to be wise about this, all right? And so I'm not saying that we, we be unwise, that we don't be discerning in who we help, but and we've even had people who have come in and, and said, oh, you know, they're so hungry, they don't have, have any need or whatever, and, and can, they get, can we give them some money? And we'll say, you know what, that's funny, because we got a lunch afterwards, and you're free to come over here. Oh, I don't want your food. I just want your money. They want cash. Why they want cash? Because they're probably not going to buy food with it, all right? This is just the simple, basic understanding. And so you have to be careful. You have to be discerning. But we don't want to just say, hey, be warmed and filled. God bless you. Go on your way. You know, we don't want to do that either. And so there's some powerful things in God's word about how to deal with those who are um, needy, those who are in poverty. And, you know, one of the things it says is don't run away from them, you know, help them out. So we have the infected with rebellious attitude. We have the insensitivity toward the needs of others. The other reason, the third reason why God's judgment is falling on Israel is because they are inconsistent in doing what is right. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. And I know we're jumping all over because remember, we're still in the introduction. We're not, we're going to go back and we're going to cover chapter 1 and stuff, but we're still introducing this. And I'm giving you an overview of what's going on in this book. Amos chapter 3, verse 10, he says, For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, 
who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Okay, they're inconsistent in doing what is right. They're not only infected with a rebellious and disobedient attitude and insensitive to others, but they are uh, inconsistent. And in other words, they were they were not doing the correct thing in a consistent manner. Uh, they know what the correct thing to do is, <laughs> but they just choose not to do it. And and that's the very nature of this kind of a attitude of, of rebellion. A lot of us know what God wants us to do. He, we, we know what the Word of God says about the way we should live and things like that, but sometimes we just choose not to do it. Um, and the point here is that by experience, the knowledge that is by experience, they, they don't do right. They, they, they live in a certain way. Instead, what happens? Violence, robbery, it's even in their palaces. It's even in their high places, Amos is saying. In their, their, their scandals in the capital, he's saying. I mean, open up your eyes, right? I mean, you don't have to go very far in our country to find scandal today in politics. And so this inconsistency of this generation and doing what is, is right brings this, this judgment, this indictment that God's judgment is around the corner. Because the Bible says in James 4.17, to him who, what, knows to do good and does not do it, what, to him it is sin. That's what it says in James 4.17. And so we have to be consistent in the way we're living our lives before a lost and dying world, especially if we're going around telling people we're a Christian. There should be consistency in our lives. Our lives should emulate Christ, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday night, but Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, and, and that's very important. There has to be consistency in our walk. If we're going to be testifying about the big salvation that Christ offers and how he saved us and what a difference he made in our life. And then people can look at our life and go, well, you don't look too much different than the people I know out there in the world. There's a problem. And so you have to be consistent in your walk with the Lord. Fourthly, verse 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, basically of Amos chapter 4 there, he says, Uh, for eight, he says, so two of the three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied, yet you did, look at what it says, yet you did not what? Return to me, declares the Lord. You're going to see this phrase over and over again. And what God is doing is he's saying, look, I gave you this opportunity. You didn't do it. You didn't return to me. Look at what verse nine says. I struck you with blight and mildew. Don't you just hate mildew? I mean, sometimes mildew shows up in the weirdest places. This was a blight of it. He says, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. What's it say? Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. You know, sometimes God's trying to get us our, get, get, us, get our attention, is he not? Uh, verse 10, I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. In other words, you couldn't avoid it. It's right in front of you. 
And yet, verse 10, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. And then even in verse 11, I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. The cities, not the lovers, if you were here Sunday. Um, and, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not what? You did not return to me. What does this show us? It shows us that they were indifferent. They were indifferent and they had a need of repentance. They were completely indifferent and they had a need of repentance. And so judgment is coming because sometimes we're indifferent to the need of repentance. And he says, that's what it means when he says, you have not returned to me. That word there in, in the Hebrew means to turn around, to repent. That's what the New Testament version of, of repentance means. It means to have a change of direction, change of mind. And God says, look, I did this, I did this, I did this, and I did this, yet you still didn't turn to me. What's it going to take? Why? Because we're indifferent to our need of repentance. Even in the church, we're indifferent to our need of repentance. I mean, I, 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 I've been in ministry now for many years, and I can't tell you that there's nothing like the indifference towards repentance. I've never seen as much of an indifference toward repentance as we see today. I talk to people all the time. I say, well, you know what, I... I just love Jesus and, and go to church and, and I don't think I need to change anything. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's not salvation. Repentance is still what? The first word of the gospel, is it not? It was the message of the Hebrew prophets. It was the message of who? John the Baptist, right? It was the message of Christ. It was the message on the day of, after the day of Pentecost. What they say? Repent and believe the gospel. God expects us to repent. In, in 1 Thessalonians 1, he says to the new converts, remember when we went through that? Paul writes, you turn to, idol, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's repentance. They were living in a way that they were serving idols. And Paul says, you know what? Your salvation is evident because you turned from your idols and you turned to the true God. There was change affected in your life. See, don't tell me you love Jesus and then go out in the world and live like the world and accept everything the world wants to shove down your throat. That's not the Christian way. We're called out of that. We're called to be different. And yet we get bombarded every day with commercial after commercial after commercial and, and different expectations put upon us just to be like everybody else, just to be like the world, to, to follow all the entertainment of the world, to follow all the music of the world, to follow everything of the world. Because, you know, we're, we're, we're covered by God's grace, so all of our sins are forgiven, so it's not a big deal. We don't really need to be different the Bible calls us what? A peculiar people. That means kind of weird, set apart. The Bible says, be ye holy as I am holy. What does that mean? You're not doing what everybody else is doing. You're standing apart from everybody else. Now, we don't all do that 100% all the time, obviously. 
But that should be the direction of our Christian walk. And there's too many Christians today saying, well, I just, you know, I trust in the grace of Jesus and I don't think repentance is necessary. I've heard pastors say that. You let that up to God. See, repentance is turning away from that which is sinful and wrong and worldly and turning to God, which is holy and right and just. And I think when anyone says, I don't need to repent, all I have to do is believe in the Lord. Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> He's not preaching the truth of God's word because that's not what God's word teaches. And that was the generation that Amos, this prophet, had to confront. All of these things were what? Warnings from God. Clear warnings from God. Stop and think about it. I mean, in, in the history of our own country, you look back, I mean, okay, 9-11 happened, right? Do you think God could have prevented 9-11? Definitely. He could have intercepted those planes and, you know, struck the, the terrorists dead before they took out the pilots. and He could have done anything, but he didn't do it, did he? No. He allowed 9-11 to happen. Do you think God could have prevented this horror that we're seeing on our TV every night with these terrorists in Israel? Do you think he could have prevented it? Death. Death. He could have. Did he? No. He's trying to get somebody's attention here. See, and, and, and we have to be Aware of this. All these things are warnings from God. All these things are God trying to say, hey, I'm here, I'm here. I mean, you can spend all day blaming it on the terrorists who did it, and they deserve the blame. But I don't know about you, but my God had the power to stop it. But he didn't. God allowed it to happen in his sovereignty. You think about some of the... <laughs> The, the, the horrible things that we see going on with the weather, right? Sometimes we get, I heard the weather guys say, oh, we're coming into the fire season again, you know? So you're getting ready, you know? Okay, all these fires, you know? Uh, or hurricanes. You live down south in the Florida. Or here you have earthquakes. All these things that hit our country or volcano eruptions. Or you look at the fires in Maui. Complete town wiped out. What do we call them? What do we call things that happen like that? Huh? What kind of disaster? Natural disasters. See, that's what the world calls them. We call them, oh, that's just a natural disaster. Beloved, there's no such thing in the Bible as a natural disaster. That's not true. Fires, earthquakes, stormy wind, all those things the Bible says fulfill his word in the Psalms. I mean, do you obviously think, do, do, do you think that the, the weatherman is actually in control? I mean, we know he's not, right? I mean, he gets up there, oh, it's going to be a beautiful day, and it's, it's raining. You're like, wait a minute. Oh, we've got rain coming, you know, and it's a beautiful day. They're wrong all the time. See, I know the weatherman's not right. But I do know the one who controls the weather. It's not the weather. It's not even us. With the climate change stuff. That's that. 
It's the Lord God of Israel who controls the weather. And when there's a fire, when there's a hurricane, when there's a, quote, natural disaster, it's, it's, it's no more natural than any other kind of disaster. It's, it, God allows it to happen for a reason. What about all the, the problems around the world today, all these judgments we see, all, all the diseases that are there? I mean, I read, read one article, and they said there, there's more than 100 sexually transmitted diseases. I mean, that's amazing to me. And eight to ten of them are like epidemic level, like there's no cure for them. What does God have to tell us that we're facing judgment? What, what does he have to do to tell us we're facing judgment? He's giving us all the signs. And this is what we're going to hear as we go through Amos. We may not want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear this kind of stuff. But you know what? The Word of God says, you know what? The Lord says, you have not returned to me in spite of all these things that I've allowed to take place to warn you, you're going down the wrong path, to bring your hearts back to God, back to Christ, what does it take? Why? Because there's an indifference to the need of repentance. Well, number five, look over at Amos, Amos chapter 5, down in verse 26. Not only are we infected with a rebellious attitude and disobedient to the commands of the Lord, we're insensitive to the needs of others. We're inconsistent in doing what is right. We're indifferent to the need of repentance. And fifthly, we're idolatrous. They were idolatrous in their religious practices. They were idolatrous in their religious practices. Look at what it says in verse 26. You shall take up Sikoth, your king, and Keon, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. Interesting. Fifth reason here, he's going to mention several times throughout the book, is that they were living in their worship idolatrously, in an idolatrous manner before their holy god. They were idolatrous in their religious practices. They cared more about the festivals of the pagan world than they did God's world, God's word. And, and they would violate his holy commands and everything that he told them in places like Leviticus 23. And instead, they would what? Substitute the pagan celebrations. Think about it. Are we not doing the same? Are we not doing the same even as Christians? Let's get real. We do it every spring. Somebody asked me here one time, they said, why did you stop using the word Easter when it comes to the Resurrection Sunday? Why don't you call it Easter Sunday? So I had to tell them, well, wait a minute. You know, I don't want to celebrate the, the Babylonian goddess of sex and fertility. <laughs> Easter, that's what that is. We're not about Easter bunnies and colored eggs and candy on, on Resurrection Sunday. Everything about that is what? Pagan. It comes from a pagan world. And yet you have ch churches with, you know, the Easter bunny and egg, Easter egg hunt and, you know, 
And they'll say, oh, it's all for the children. Go ahead and lie to the children then. I mean, that's not right. Try being honest with the children. What's, what's Resurrection Sunday really about? It's about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's not turn it into Easter eggs and candy and Easter bunnies. And you can say the same thing about Christmas. But the point is this, is that we're so proud, right? We're, we're so proud, we're so arrogant that, oh, well, that's what they did back then. We don't do the same thing. Yes, we do. If we're honest with ourselves, yes, we do. We do the same stuff. We're not to be legalistic about these things, but at the same point, let's, let's keep the message of the Bible in the holiday. Okay, we're, we're not going to celebrate the Easter Bunny. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We're not going to celebrate Santa Claus. We're going to celebrate, what, that Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born. Let's be real. But we've lost touch with this aspect of the Word of God. We've, we've decided that, well, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's drilling down too much there. You need to just give a little grace there. And, well, I don't think so. I don't think so. And Amos comes out of the desert, and he's been talking to animals all day. And you know what? He's dealing with a little bit of fruit that nobody ever wanted to eat or pick, and he was doing it. And you know what? He didn't have any tact. He didn't have any diplomacy. He's saying things that basically we're going to find out offend everybody. But what's he doing? He's telling them the truth. He's telling them the message that God wants him to share. And see, all this stuff, all these areas we compromise in, that we're infected with, we're insensitive to, we're inconsistent, we're indifferent, we're idolatrous, all those things set you up for the judgment of God. And this is what Amos wants the people of Israel to understand. We have to repent. We have to get right with God. We have to clean our house. We, you know, we, we, we have to make sure that everything is in order, that we're not compromising in ways that we shouldn't be compromising. And then the sixth thing here is independence. Look at what it says in chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. The notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. What was their problem? They were independent in what they trusted. They were independent in what they trusted. They were independent from God. They, were, they, they thought, you know what, we don't need to trust God. They knew they were supposed to trust God. They knew they were supposed to trust the Lord. But guess what? They refused to do it. What did they do? They trusted in the mountain of Samaria. Why? Why? Because everything was going great. Think about it. Uh, Jeroboam II, because of his invasion of the, the, the Assyrian uh, area there, Removed all the threats. And they just thought, hey, we'll just, we'll just play, play footsie a little bit with Syria here. And we're just going to be able to extend our, our borders and be blessed and have prosperity everywhere. And Samaria has done it and, and the, the people are thrilled. 
they got everything going for them. And Amos has to come along by the Lord. And what's he say? He says, hey, no, you don't. You don't. You don't have everything going for you. And what he's going to point out is the same people you're trusting right now are the same people who are going to bring the judgment of God down on you. I can't help but think of Israel at the present time in this situation. If you read, get a chance, read Ezekiel chapter 13. We don't have time tonight, but basically Ezekiel warned the leaders of Israel not to trust other world leaders. They can't trust them. Not even our leaders. Because they could be seduced into thinking that peace was possible when God's Word says it's not. All these people talking about the peace process in the Middle East. I got news for you. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. Even our own nation will turn its back on Israel. We can't conceive of that today. But before 9-11, we couldn't conceive of terrorists flying airplanes in the towers and the whole thing collapsing either. Just because we can't imagine something happening doesn't mean it can't happen. So they were infected with this rebellious attitude. They were disobedient to the commands of the Lord. They were insensitive to the needs of others, especially the poor. They were inconsistent in doing the right thing. They were indifferent to the need of repentance and getting right with God. They were idolatrous in their religious practices. They were independent in what they trusted. They were independent of God himself, what he told them to do. Well, two more things. I said last week there was five things. It was a revelation of the coming judgment, the reference of the Israel, the northern kingdom, and the con it contained the reasons why God's judgment was coming. And then fourthly, it was a reliance upon what the Lord himself said. It was a reliance upon what the Lord himself said. Uh, the message of Amos was just that. He was just telling them what the Lord himself said. If you look throughout the book of Amos, just go through with a highlighter or a pen and underline how many times you see the, these words, thus saith the Lord. It's going to be in excess of 20 times. Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Amos isn't saying, oh, I'm telling you to do this. No, he's saying the Lord's telling you to do this. <laughs> or places... There, I think I'm listed in your, yeah, they're listed there in your outline, where he says, um, hear the word of the Lord, okay, four, uh, four times. Or the Lord showed me three or four times there. The point is that the message of Amos is not his message, right? It's not his message. It's a reliance upon what the Lord himself said. And, and please understand, whenever you, you are teaching the Word of God, whenever you're preaching, whenever you're exercising your gift of prophesying in, in the way of, of foretelling the Word of God, telling the Word of God, proclaiming the Word of God, okay? When you do that, who are you speaking? Are you saying your own words? No. You're speaking the very words of God. And that's what you should be doing. Unfortunately, our churches are filled with, with people like Joe Olstein who just want to fill your head with a bunch of garbage. 
And so they listen to people like that. And now he's got a nice little message and he's a good looking little guy and he's got nice teeth. And oh, wow, look at his church. It's, you know, 40,000 people in there. He must be doing something right. No, he's doing everything wrong. His message does not save. His message damns people to hell. And we need to stop listening to people like that because they're not teaching the word of the Lord. They're teaching their own version of self-help, psychology. And see, we've, we've been dumbed down by people like Oprah and Dr. Phil or anybody else. And you know, we think, oh, well, these people have all the answers. No, they don't. No, they don't. Start trusting in the Lord alone, whatever He says. When someone comes to you and asks you about a problem in their life, what does your answer consist of? What do you say to them? You say, oh, I read this great psychology book the other day here. Or I did this, or I did, oh, I heard this. No. Where, where do you take them? I pray you take them to the Word of God. You take them to the Bible. That's why we're such a strong supporter of biblical counseling, not Christian counseling, but biblical counseling. You say, well, what's the difference? Christian counseling is basically secular counseling with a Christian name on it. Christian counselor will sit you down and, well, what happened to you as a child? I bet you your parents were mean to you. Did they beat you? Did they discipline you? Did they do this? Did they do this? Oh, that's, that's why you're having the problems. No, that's not why. I've counseled many people and so many times, you know, they'll talk. Have a counseling time. They want to come. They want to share their problem with you. And they start sharing their problem problems with you. Okay. And after about 45 minutes, I've had enough. I say, okay, listen, here's the problem. Boom, boom, boom. Here's what the Bible says. Boom, boom, boom. Go read this and we'll meet next week and, and put into practice what you learned. You don't need to go see a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anybody else. The word of God is sufficient to meet our needs. And so when people come to you with problems, with, with situations in their life, turn to the word of God. But see, the problem is many in the church today don't have a well that they've been storing the word of God in, in their own heart and in their own mind. So when people do come and, and ask them a question about spirituality or about their own lives, they have, they're dry. They have nothing because they're barely making it to church every week themselves. See, we need to change that. Our wells should be full. We should be ready and able to share the truth of God's Word with people who are needy, who definitely need to hear what the Word says. Don't tell them what you think. Tell them what God says. No more, no less. It's a reliance upon what the Lord Himself said. So we have the revelation of His coming. It was a reference to, to Israel it contained the reasons. We saw six of those. It was a reliance upon the Lord himself and what he had said. And the last thing here tonight, it was a message of repentance and getting right with God. This is what um, Amos shared very clearly. Look at, at verse uh, 12 of chapter 4. He says, therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare, what's he say? 
to meet your God, O Israel. Wow. I don't think that's a very popular message today. People don't want to hear that. Oh, you, you, what, what should I do? Prepare to meet your God, pal. That's, that's not a very positive message. Or over in verse 4 of chapter 5, he says, For thus says the Lord, there's that phrase again, to the house of Israel. What's he say? Very simple. Seek me and live. Seek me and live. Nothing touchy-feely about that. Pretty straightforward. Seek me and live. Or verse 8 of chapter 5, He who made Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and the darkness and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. What's going on here? Why does he, what's he doing here? He's making a play on their uh, astrological tables. They were into all this pagan worship of the stars. You know, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be reading your horoscope. It's a bunch of garbage. That's, that's not honoring to the Lord. I mean, I think it's, it's important to, to realize that this is, this is a form of paganism that has come into the church. And we play it down and we just think, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Well, it is. I, Isaiah himself said, if you're looking to the stars and the wisdom of that instead of the law of the Lord, you're facing the judgment of God in your life. That's pretty serious. I mean, it's, it's kind of like when you go to the Chinese restaurant, right? And you have a little fortune cookie. I mean, there's some people that are really into this stuff. I mean, it's not a sin to open up a fortune cookie and read the thing. But have you ever noticed these stupid things? You know, you're, you're going to, you'll meet someone, you know, interesting today. Wow, wow, that's, well, that's a big deal. You know, it's like at the end of the year, every year before the new year happens, what happens? All these crazy nuts come out and say, oh, this next year, this is what's going to happen. And they have every kind of prophecy known to mankind. And they're given in such a general way. Well, there's going to be war. Oh, okay. You know, you watch. You, you'll have them at the end of this year. Yeah, I said there was going to be a war, uh, you know, in the Middle East. Big deal. There's a war every week in the Middle East. But see, this is, this is the, the nature of our culture. They, they want to go and gravitate toward these things. We need to stay away from that. Instead, we need to seek the Lord with all of our hearts. Look at, at verse 14 of chapter 5. He says, seek good and what? Not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. So when you seek something, there's intention behind it. See, we need to trust the Lord. We need to seek the Lord with all of our hearts. The problem is we're so busy out there seeking things in the world, we don't have time for the Lord. Outside of maybe a Sunday morning for a couple hours and a Wednesday night. So we need to get stop and get our priorities right. Now, Amos is going to be rough on the edges. I'm just telling you, as we go through this book, he's going to say things um, that are not very eloquent and that are going to rub against everything 
that you've probably ever heard before. But you know what? We need that message. We need that kind of roughness in our face. I heard many um, commentators this week saying about what the atrocities that happened in Israel. You know, now they're saying, well, you know, we don't want to show those images. I think they should show the images. And I think they should show the images without the little blurred out thing. So you can see the little baby's heads cut off and show people the vile wickedness that these Hamas terrorists are. It's ridiculous. But see, we want to sterilize everything until Israel carries out its judgment and then, oh, then they'll show that. You know they're going to show that. Just, it's, it's very frustrating sometimes. But we see what's going on. And sometimes you just need to back up from everything and take a look and say, wait, what am I trusting in? You know, has paganism infiltrated my life in any way? Am, am I distracted? I mean, as, as I was reading through this book, I'm thinking, you know, I kind of want to make this, the message of Amos sweet and kind and edifying and encouraging and uplifting to the people. And finally, I realized I can't. It wasn't meant to be that, okay? It's meant to be a book of judgment. And so, you know, we just have to put on our, our big boy pants and go, okay, this is what God is saying to us. Does it apply to me? Does it apply to you? Because it is God's word, is it not? It is given to us for a purpose. I think we need to hear that God is going to judge us for our lack of repentance. I think we need to hear that God is going to judge us for turning away from God to our culture or to our material goods or to our even our loved ones. I mean, that's the message Jesus taught. He said, you know what? If, if you don't, in, my, in comparison to your love for me, your love for your mom and dad, your brother, sister, should seem like hatred. That's a hard message. Was Jesus telling us to hate our mom and dad? No. He was saying, you should love me so much more, though, that your love for your mom and dad seems almost like it's hate. You, you hate him because you love me so much more. In comparison. That's the idea. And so you can't water stuff like that down. Because if you water stuff like that down, if, you, if, you, if we water the, the message of Amos down, what happens? We just become part of the whole thing that he's saying God is going to judge. <laughs> right? We don't want to be that. I pray that God would open our hearts to show us what we need from him. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Sometimes as these Old Testament prophets spoke, they're very different than the way we would say things today. Um, but we know, Lord, that people are people, and sometimes because we're people, we have the same problems in our own lives today as they had back in the day of Amos. And Lord, we, we want to be the people of God that you want us to be. And I, I know there's not a person in this room that would not say that, yeah, you know what, we all need to do a little house cleaning in our own hearts, in our own souls, in our own minds. Because it is easy 
to compromise with what is wrong and to go along with something because everybody else is going along with it. It's easy to cover it over, to sweep it under God's grace and justify it or rationalize it out of our way. It's easy. It's our natural tendency even to do so. And the enemy is there to entice us and to kind of urge us along and confuse us with the different messages that come from all these different places. And we need to come back to you. We need to come back to your message. We need to return to you and your word. And to think seriously about where we are in our time, in our life. Lord, I know that uh, you you know what's going on in our midst. I don't know. But I know, Lord, according to your word, that sin is in the camp. You told Achan through your servant Joshua that he was to confess his sin and to give glory to God of Israel. And Lord, I know that our sin causes us to do the opposite. Instead of glorifying you, we protect ourselves, we defend ourselves, and we cover our sin, just like Adam and Eve tried to do in the garden. And you said if we go down that road, if we do that, we will not prosper as individuals or as even as a nation. You said if we confess our sin, if we forsake our sin, if we repent of our sin, we'll find compassion, we'll find mercy from you. And God, I pray that you will really help us to see things the way you want us to see them. Through the lens of your word, that we might have the heart that you have, that we might realize that we are drawing near to the return of the Messiah. As Amos says in his book, there will one day be a famine for the Word of God. People will go, it says, to and fro, trying to find somebody to teach them the Word. Help us not to run away from what you say, Lord. In the day when men want teachers who will entertain them, share with them what they want to hear, give them myths and fables rather than the truth because that makes them feel better. Lord, I pray our message would be a message of repentance. Help us be faithful to you, to your word. Help us not to compromise the plain intent of what you wrote in your your word. Pray that we'll have a heart toward you to truly seek you with all of our heart, to seek you in a time when you will be found Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in our homes, in our church. We thank you for what you're even going to do over there in the Middle East with all this chaos going on. And Lord, we can thank you based upon the promises of your word. Pray that you bless our time of fellowship. Take us safely home this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.